Welcome back to the eighth episode of the EcoFlow podcast. This is Shrub Jane logging in, and today I'm going to release the second part of my interview with Cody Abbey on the things that we can learn from rural education work in China. In this second part of the interview, we're going to explore the two-teacher system that they've been implementing in rural China, as well as questions such as whether education technology is narrowing or expanding the urban-rural education gap. We also talked about spiritual and material civilization and advice for parents during this pandemic lockdown for their kids. If you've missed the first part, you can always find it on my YouTube channel, or if you just want the audio version of it, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. Please enjoy. Do you think China would be doing a better job during this period of time than any other countries in closing that gap because of this investment in in agtech? Because from here in Malaysia, when we watch the news, they kept reporting about how、um, Chinese kids are learning through apps or app on in China right now. But in Malaysia, people are still doing things sort of ad hoc or or by themselves、um, in different ways, like. Okay, this school's teacher is doing it through Zoom or through this way, and everyone's not really unified in in a single system, or and the government is not investing so much resources on、um, on education technology. And so, I see a lot of kids like maybe they're for this past four months they're just playing at home and、um, just hanging out, you know. And whereas maybe in China, like. The kids are both city kids and rural kids are are getting this、um, similar sort of education for this period of time. Yeah, well, I think I I don't know what the situation is like in Malaysia.、Um, mm. I'd say in China, what, what what we're seeing is that there there are a lot of centralized resources.、Uh, that's that's certainly the case, but we we're still not sure if if they're effective, right? We we're still not sure. And if if this teacher who's using this PowerPoint they found on the this huge database, right? Is this an effective? Is it has it have an effect? Is it as effective if they were as if they were doing it face to face? Is it is it more effective? Is it less effective? We still don't know.、Um, and I think that if if it's rural teachers who are who are、uh, carrying out these interventions, well,、um, it's it's a little bit of a Of a worry because rural teachers, you know, they already they they. No offense against rural teachers, but overall, obviously, you know, rural teachers just can't teach as well as urban teachers for a variety of reasons. So if they're going to start、um, venturing into edtech, you know, they, they suddenly have to、uh, put on the edtech app and figure out, well, how am I going to use my computer to teach this lesson? How am I going to send this lesson over? Cell phone and start grading, you know, with my cell、uh, cell phone, or how do I how do I even you know manage the class、mm-hmm. over the computer when the kids probably just want to go outside or and play anyway, but they can't go outside because it's you know quarantine. So they're gonna find some other way to entertain themselves, even though they're supposed to be paying attention to the lesson. There are all these factors that could have influenced、um, the the kids' education. That、uh, I don't I don't necessarily think that. You know, China. Although China was successful in making sure that all teachers were engaged in some way,、mm. 
mm. in this situation that it was necessarily very effective, right? It might have not even been that much more effective than not teaching at all. We just don't know, right? Okay. Uh, so I think definitely kudos to China for uh, for uh, its organization of uh, of the teachers and getting them together to do this. But mm -hmm. so many teachers were not experienced before. You know, there are hardware connectivity problems, there are all these issues that we have to think about. And I think, um, you know, one really important question is, uh, so I organized uh, with my team this webinar uh, recently. Mm -hmm. uh, I sent it about, yeah. um, you know, it, it, what is, what, first of all, you know, what was uh, the effect of COVID-19 on, on education in rural China? And uh, what's the future of, essentially that was, it wasn't really the topic, but it ended up being a subtopic was, what is the future of ed tech in, in China, in rural China? And uh, we invited this NGO, besides our academic, you know, lecturers, we invited this NGO uh, mm. to talk. And what they do is, uh, it's called uh, Shangshi, right? So uh, Shangshi means two teacher system. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really a good English translation for it, actually. I haven't really seen, you know, very good, because I think in, in English, we, we don't really call it that. But essentially what it is, is that there is a, a, an urban teacher or not necessarily an, an urban teacher, but like a, maybe a company employee teacher often, right? So in China, there are these huge education companies that mm -hmm. have tons of resources. And, you know, often the, the kids that they serve, and this is getting into my point, um, is uh, our, our kids who are in urban uh, areas that are like first and second tier cities. Um, but in any case, so this, this, this company has, it's called, uh, it's called Xindongfang. Uh, Xindongfang. So New Oriental, yeah. Mm -hmm. And New Oriental and the other large uh, conglomerate in China, uh, which is called uh, TAL, it's called Haoelai uh, in Chinese. So these two mm -hmm. companies that have a foundation. That's called Qingxi um, Yuanshan, uh, and so this this foundation, uh, the Qingxi Yuanshan Foundation, uh, engages in the two teacher system. And what that what that means is that uh, they have an urban teacher uh, or, or a company employed teacher teaching kids over Zoom or you mm -hmm. know some sort of similar uh, software. Um, English or, or Chinese, right, or math. And uh, it's called a double teacher system is it, because it takes place in their actual classroom. Like mm -hmm. the, and the teacher, their rural teacher, their actual classroom teacher, will engage somewhat with the kids, um, but not in the actual transmission of information, but rather um, in the classroom management and maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe inciting a little bit of or, or organizing some classroom discussion or giving some one-to-one -one feedback um, or, you know, obviously setting up the computer. So this, this is this new two-teacher system. And uh, um, the head of this organization, the, the secretary general, Mi Zhang in Chinese, uh, of mm -hmm. this, of this uh, NGO or foundation, he, uh, he gave the rationale for this. And I thought this was really interesting. He said, um, he gave a little background. He said, you know, is ed tech, is ed tech um, narrowing the gap between urban and rural areas or is it um, widening the gap, uh -huh. right? I thought that, 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 was, that was actually a question we, we had posed 
so all the speakers beforehand. But um, I think he was really the only one who, who really, I think, directly um, tried you know answer that question. And it was interesting too because he was you know he was in the nexus between uh, you know China's um, educational industry, right? Private companies that make tons of money off of urban kids um, <laughs> and um, the, the a nonprofit, this this foundation that that tries to serve rural kids. And what he said was, "Can you guess what he said? The can you guess is it narrow or does it uh, does it uh, widen?" I'm just interested in what you think. I think it could widen as well. Widen, yeah, and that's yeah. what he said. Widen, and why do you say widen? Well, he he actually gave some statistics, right, uh, of these two companies uh-huh. and the kids that use the software uh, of their various products, right? They've uh-huh. got so many products for all different years for all different curricula, and what they found was. Almost like less. I think it was less than ten percent. Uh, I'd have to look at the statistic again, but um, definitely less than twenty percent of all of their users uh-huh. were users that were in um, fourth tier cities or below. Um, and it might, I'd have to look at the statistic again, but essentially, almost you know, over half of their users were in first or second tier cities, uh-huh. um, which are very, you know, not a very large portion of, of China's population, right? You've got 50% of China's population in rural areas. Mm-hmm. And yet, of that, you know, of the 50% of kids, right, you know, 50%, um, and yet only, like, maybe 5 or 10% of the users were in rural areas. It was actually so, it was actually so uh, stark of a contrast yeah. That they did not even include rural areas. They had fifth tier cities, right? Which isn't technically rural. That's not, I don't know what that would even technically be, but it's a city, right? So that's not even including rural areas. So they didn't have, they, so the rural area participants may have been less than 1%. They didn't even bother to include it in their statistics. And so his point was that, no, clearly rural uh, ed tech is not closing the gap in, in, yeah. in China. It's it's actually widening it, and so that was what was that was super interesting to me, uh-huh. and and so what was interesting, and I think this is you know something we'd really like to evaluate in the future is this two teacher system because, as I said before, right, there's all these rural teachers that are leaving, where you know so many teachers don't want to go to rural China to teach, mm-hmm. um, and what this double teacher system offers is that you know you can essentially um, address the supply and demand um, mismatch, right? Mm-hmm. So there's so many you know, rural kids, there's not enough rural teachers or good rural teachers. So you can, at almost no cost, right? You're, you can basically allow these rural kids access to urban uh, teachers or to these like high quality educational mm-hmm. teaching resources. Um, yeah, and so, it, it's 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 a really interesting uh, experiment, and and there's actually this article. I don't want to keep going on and on, but there's this article sure. that was, um, you know, super viral in China. I don't know if you read it, uh, and it was about this company, but like it was a company or like an NGO backed by a company, I think, that in Chengdu, that was 
allowing kids in rural Yunnan, right? So that's mm-hmm. in uh, southwestern China. It's somewhat, uh, it's you know, poorer yep. than a lot of other places in China. Um, access to you know Chengdu, which is a fairly large city, their best high school, which is you know Chengdu Qijong, um, and I actually taught taught there one summer. But uh, mm-hmm. and allowing them to, and i'm not saying that because i'm like a great teacher or anything but i, I it was cool that i got to teach there uh one mm-hmm. summer, summer <laughs> it's really um, humble. <laughs> but um yeah yeah so they're allowing these um these kids in rural in rural yunnan mm. to in high school to gain access to uh these teachers at this you know top high school in Chengdu. Uh, and essentially they would put a camera in, in the, in the Chengdu classroom. Um, and so the, the Yunnan, uh, these, you know, poor rural kids, they can see in their, in their classroom virtually what the Chengdu classroom looks like, mm-hmm. um, and the teacher teaching and the, so their teacher, the rural teacher would put that on and they would watch this, uh, and, and essentially, they, 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 it said in the article that, you know, so many kids went to the top schools after participating in this distance education program uh, or double teacher program. But, no, you know, nobody's evaluated it. Uh-huh. Okay. So it can be a viral article. They can say that, you know, there are this many kids that went to these, these universities. But we don't know if it was because of that it might have been but we don't know for sure that was because of that program so yeah so in a not in definitely not in a nutshell but you know i've talked quite for quite a long time about this already about ed tech Mm -hmm. and um that's sort of what what i do and what we're doing Mm -hmm. um just a quick comment i i felt like um what the guy just said about widening the gap from a private company's perspective that and from their statistics that should be correct because they're selling their products, right? And I, I bet the, the people who are buying their products are mainly from urban oh, yeah. parents and, and forcing their kids to take, take such courses. And maybe they, they market it to their target audience, which is rich parents who would pay for, for such courses, right? And so I think you guys are doing a really important job in competing with these huge private tech companies and coming up with equally good quality <laughs> programs that could be easily accessible to rural kids yeah and i i mean i really that's part of our goal right it is to come up with some interventions that work um but often you know i think our strength right i reap and that's i'm sure scott would uh, agree with this is my boss my boss mm-hmm. scott um <laughs> is that our strength is really in evaluating um so Although, you know, we, we also would love to come up with product and uh, products like, you know, computer assisted learning is one of ours, but um, to a large extent, you know, if there's something that already works that's out there and they're willing to give it for free yeah. to uh, rural kids, then we're, we're, all, we're all for that, right? We, we don't necessarily have to be the one that comes up with it, but we just want to make sure it works. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but as you said, that's totally right. Yeah, I mean, the reason... Uh, one of the reasons, right? We can't say that's the only reason, mm, um, yeah. but one of the reasons that these rural kids can't access the software is that it's expensive. And um, yeah, I mean, these, these educational softwares, some of my friends in Beijing, you know, they can't even, uh, they can't even afford uh, some of the 
educational software platforms, right? Like English learning platforms that are out there that are like thousands of yuan, uh, you know, every month. It's 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 really hard for many people to afford. So that's certainly one of the reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is one thing that the Reap program had taught you, um, or deep for rural kids that you didn't expect? Yeah, so I think one thing I already uh, talked about, and you talked about a little bit, I think, um, was the importance of early childhood development, right? Uh, These are just things that I just hadn't thought of before. I'd always been thinking from the the school perspective, right? Oh, it's because teachers, right? It's because uh, there must be something wrong with the, the school resources. There's not enough, or it must start later in life. That's sort of what I always uh, had considered, but um, a lot of us hadn't been exposed to, you know, some of those, uh, the the literature that says that actually it's the first a thousand days, a thousand day hypothesis um, Mm -hmm. where the brain forms and that uh, this, you know, this parenting is so, so vital. And it wasn't just that, like there are also other things that, you know, we didn't, I, I didn't realize it was so important. And you also talked about, right, intestinal worms. Um, but, you know, intestinal worms we've actually found isn't quite as important in, in recent research or anemia. Um, our past research said that was, you know, really a big problem. I think that's getting better and better, right? There, there are fewer cases of anemia, which is, is caused um, by a lack of uh, essentially iron. Um, so that's a lack of certain foods like meat and vegetables Mm -hmm. um that's that's starting to improve across china i think one of our biggest um effect sizes right so when we're talking about experimental economics talk about how big is the effect the effect size um Mm -hmm. and almost i'd say because our early child development research is still producing uh results um which which are quite large but i think because we've done so many years with our vision project, that's probably our most established and proven project to really improve kids' grades. Um, so a lot of kids in rural China just don't wear glasses. Mm. Uh, and they, you know, why don't they wear glasses? There's so many reasons why they don't wear glasses. But um, what we, we've done is that uh, we've found that when kids wear glasses, their, their grades are going to increase if yeah. they, you know, they're, uh, I always forget which one is it, which is it. It's uh, if they're far enough, they're nearsighted. Nearsighted. Uh, yeah. If they're myopic, um, th- their, their grades will improve by 20 points, right? Uh, if they wear, if they wear glasses, um, mm-hmm. and if they don't. And so what we did was, uh, we, uh, started up this, um, social enterprise to sell glasses to families and, you know the cities that can afford to to pay for them, um, and then sell or, or to uh, donate classes to rural kids that needed them, and mm-hmm. um, establish these like uh, vision testing centers in these smaller uh, in, in the rural schools where uh, the teachers could do the vision testing, and then report to the vision centers we set up. Oh, you know these are these kids uh, that are myopic, um, and then they would come and get their own pair of glasses so that's essentially another thing that we've done that's really important um yeah so i think that's you know all of this research that i didn't really consider before to be important for rural education this has become um 
I think something that a big lesson. Another lesson, obviously, is that um, at Reap, what we find is that you have to test things, right? You can't. There's so many NGOs out there that you know they have great projects um, and they have great teams and they, they really care about the issues that they work on, but they don't necessarily know if what they're doing is effective. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to spend all those resources, you're going to spend all that time trying to make a difference right Mm -hmm. it's might as well know if it's effective or not and there's different ways of measuring that but um especially for like increasing academic performance you have to go through randomized control trials there's a few other ways of doing it um uh that are kind of uh also somewhat acceptable um Mm -hmm. that are uh semi-experimental essentially but um, but you know it's it's really the the gold standard of of uh, showing whether something is effective or not. So that'll mm-hmm. probably be the second thing. And mm-hmm. when it comes from uh, I guess rural kids, what have I found? Um, huh. Well, I mean a lot a lot of a lot of what I've seen in, in rural China has is it's funny. Like some things have changed a lot, and some things haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first started teaching in the rural countryside. Uh, uh, I mean, my, my what I see is very different from um, somebody who's Chinese would see possibly or uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm going in there as a foreigner. I look very different. Um, so it's, I think so much of what rural kids, you know, what they see, it's, they see me as like the sort of alien type of figure that they that they're a little bit afraid of, but they also really want to get to know. Um, mm-hmm. and when I go to China, rural China, still, you know, that's always still the case. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll have like kids following me around. The entire school might follow me around or be looking at me. Um, so I, I think that's that kind of and what that what that teaches me is that you know these rural kids they still have a lot. Um, they 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 haven't been outside of their uh, inside of this this rural region that they're a part of and. Um, and that, you know, they're a bit closed off from the outside world. Uh, and, but, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that, you know, what, what I've, I've seen though, is that a lot of rural kids are actually quite satisfied with, with the way that they experience life. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a good way to, to describe what I mean by this. So recently we had a, a conversation with, um, a principal mm-hmm. at this rural school in uh it's called Liangshan. Uh and Liangshan is a very poor, very, very poor area in Sichuan. Um it's an ethnic minority region. And she had been from um she was actually I think a a volunteer teacher who became principal of this rural school. So it was a little bit interesting of a situation because you don't generally see volunteer teachers become principals, but mm. um she said some things to us, uh, right? So they're at this, you know, very poor, in this very poor region where these kids have, you know, very simple, fairly simple lives. Um, they don't have a lot of the material, like, I guess, comforts that a lot of people might have, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the U.S. or, um, or you know, urban China. Yeah. Uh, and she said this one comment to us. I was, I was almost shocked that she said this actually um that i think to, to, i think 
I've never really considered uh, that a a principal would do this. So um, what she said was, oh, you know, I, a lot of NGOs want to give us uh, donations. Uh, and, and, and so, and just, just to back this up with some, some, uh, some background, how did we find this teacher? Well, uh, well, first of all, we, we had uh, started our, our computer assisted learning program at the school, right? Mm-hmm. So that was one, one reason. Um, okay. We this teacher. But she had also uh, done a whole bunch of um, videos on, you know, these small, uh, what's called, uh, in, in English, I forgot the name. Actually, uh, Byte Dance, right? Byte Dance, Doeen. Um, uh-huh. I think Doeen, right? So she had her own channel. Okay. Um, where like, basically give these one-minute videos uh, about the situation at her rural school. And, um, you know, and they were very, very popular. And so she got a lot of attention. A lot, a lot of NGOs or people wanted to donate clothes and other items. And so she said that she didn't want the clothes. She said that she didn't want the kids to have the clothes to to uh, receive the clothes. And I was that's that's so strange. Um, and then you know we asked her obviously well, why why would you say that? And she said that she would always give the clothes away to other schools because she said that my kids don't need to feel like they're entitled. Like you know they 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 just need to f- realize that they actually have a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, know where they are uh they they really are really fortunate they don't need to be um you know envious of people who live in the city they don't need to be envious of people who live in america right mm-hmm. i mean i was american talking to her so that's why she brought yeah. up america uh-huh. but um she said that you know they have you know all they really need where they are uh-huh. and um i thought that was you know really really touching um but i had never really imagine that a school would reject, you know, a donation, um, for, uh, and, and give it to other schools. Mm-hmm. It's not something I expected. So yeah, that, I think that what really brought, brought home to me. And I, and I think what, what that taught me is that, um, and this is obviously the principal talking, she can't talk on behalf of the kids per se, yeah. what she said, and what I saw at the, that school and what I've seen in rural China is that kids tend to be very happy. Um, in general, right? There are certainly, you know, mental health issues uh, in every school. Mm-hmm. Um, behind children, you know, don't have parents at home. That's that's also it's also a huge problem. But mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, just because you go to a, a school that doesn't necessarily have a lot of resources or, you know, doesn't have, you know, the best curriculum or the best teachers, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be any less happy. And I think a lot of rural kids have, uh, you know, they've, they, they've, they've learned to just appreciate what they have. And I think that's mm-hmm. something so valuable that, you know, you know, you also mentioned this in your, uh, the video that you yeah. said, uh, that the kids in the dock also, um, you know, they, they are somewhat closed off from the world, but they, you know, they, they, they've learned to really appreciate what they have and yeah. they're able to have a simpler lifestyle and, maybe they're even happier because of it. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's sort of what I learned is that, um, that kids in rural China, you know, they, we have lots of, that we can learn from them. Appreciate appreciation about not necessarily needing all the material comforts. Yeah. Um, in life. You know, what the principal said is something 
that I personally subscribe to, and that's、mm. how I felt when I when I bring people to rural villages in the Himalayas, and it's also because I've read a book called Ancient Futures, and I would definitely send you the the PDF file、um, for、yeah. this book. In fact, I have like fifty copies of this book in Ladakh, which I forgot to bring it back, or else I could have just give it to you as a present.、Um, yeah. But we. We force or enforce all all our participants who join our retreats to read this book before coming, because、um, so the author of Ancient Futures is a Swedish linguist. Her name is Helena Norbert Hodge, and she runs a, a really powerful NGO called Local Futures, I think, and she's really adamant about. Localizing economies, and and on creating an economy that puts the welfare of people above everything, or the well-being of people above greed, above、um, just material production, above GDP, and and she got this idea from Ladakh because she visited Ladakh in the seventies when it was just right right before. It was opened up to the world, or just right after it was opened up to the world. So Ladakh, for a very long time, was cut off from even the rest of India because they didn't have like a good infrastructure road that could lead、um, people from the plains to the mountains in the Himalayas. And so they were building the roads, and by the seventies, they finally opened it up. And when she arrived, she saw a very utopian society in Ladakh, where people were living very happily. In the agrarian society, people were were farming and、um, families taking were very sustainable. There were no plastics. People were、um, producing enough food, and and because they have like milk, they have yaks, they have um, um, what was that? Barley, lots of barley. So they had a pretty good、uh, mix of of food as well, and people were just happy, really happy, and. So she learned the language, learned the culture, talked to people, and ten years later or twenty years later, when she came back again, but she's been going back year after year, and she saw how it changes over time when people bring in the idea of Western capitalism, and they started bringing in goods, materials. Foreigners flock into Ladakh, but when they do so, they also bring in,、um, you know. Clothings. They bring in all kinds of fancy stuff, and they start giving out, you know, like money to to people. And when people in Ladakh start giving up farming to set up like businesses, shops in Leh, which is the the capital of Ladakh, the ancient capital city of Ladakh, they become dependent on the capitalistic money-based economy. And over time, people start comparing themselves with one another in terms of wealth. In terms of what they wear, in terms of how much money they have, and and so it starts to destroy relationships between people. And yeah, these days, if you go to to rural Ladakh, you can still see the the same sort of agrarian society. But at the same time, you can also see the effect of capitalism slowly seeping into every corner in this world. I bet. And and so when I bring people to Um, this nomadic village that we went to, 
into the school, I actually asked them to, to not buy them like snacks um, or, or plastic toys because, because they would just play with the toy and they don't know how to recycle it or discard of it. And it also creates sort of like a, a sense of lack in them that they need this in order to be happy. So that's what I felt as well. As long as they have the basic necessity to have a, a fairly comfortable life. And for that, I meant like comfortable clothes to, to withstand the winter. When, when people want to donate winter clothes to the kids, I, I would support that. Um, and they have enough food. If they donate funds to support the, the food, uh, the clothing, books, education, then I would support them or I would rec- recommend them to bring such things instead of buying all sorts of um, material things for the kids. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. It's funny. Um, it's, it's sort of a difficult issue, right? I, I read what we're focused on is we're trying to improve, you know, rural students' grades so they can go to better schools um, and so that they can, you know, better, you know achieve in life. Um, but, you know, I think there's also a, another side to that. And I'm not saying like this is uh, a wrong you know, direction at all, mm-hmm. but uh, because, because of that, right. We're, we're, we're trying to make sure that they have the ability or the resources or the, you know, educational achievements so that they can go to the cities so that they can get a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for most people, that is what, what they would want. But be, with, with that, I think the caveat is with that, there are also all these other, um, I guess externalities or these, you know, potential consequences that come with, you know, leaving uh, a rural, a simpler lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's wrong. I think, you know, overall the direction is right uh, that uh-huh. you know, we try to move in and that, you know, I think overall there is that pressure on rural society in China that, you know, you need to move, to, you need to become successful. You need to get a job. You need to make money and I think you need money to survive. Um, yeah. And you need a certain amount of money to be happy. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can't completely reject the idea of, of you know, the necessity of these, you know, financial resources or material resources, as you said, right? You need, you need the, the winter clothes. You got to mm-hmm. get, get those winter clothes. Otherwise, you know, it's just going to be a pretty um, difficult winter to get through. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I think there's that caveat is that when you're trying to uh, open open up Right. Uh, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to seem too like Orientalist or something. But you know, when you're trying to expose kids who have less exposure to um, other parts of the world or even other parts of their own country, mm-hmm. uh, you're trying to improve their their grades. You're trying to um, you're trying to make sure that they have a better path in life. You also have to think about well, you know, the more that we expose them to this, the more that they may also uh, encounter um you know comparisons with other people or materialism or all of these other um i think you know parts of life uh parts of being human um mm-hmm. that is even you know particularly magnified when we live in you know cities where you know, there's a lot of competition between people or there's more materialism mm-hmm. um and i you know, it's up to every individual to try to figure out how to deal with that and, you know, how they want to do, deal with that. But I think, you know, also um, when we try to do these interventions, whether it's uh, in the Himalayas or whether it's 
rural China uh, or somewhere else, right? It's also important to keep that in mind and to uh, maybe even in, uh, include that as as part of the the curriculum um, as like a reminder um, mm-hmm. that you know, what although it's 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 really important to uh, improve and to grow and to uh, explore the world that. Um, sometimes what you need isn't necessarily more mm-hmm. what you have already. Yeah. In China, when I was studying international relations in, in Peking, I remember in the Chinese politics class, there was a, was it Mao Zuxi or um, one of the, or Zhou Enlai or one of the top leaders who said that, you know, the more Chinese, China progress in terms of the Wuzhu winning uh, material civilization, you also have to, um, develop its jingsheng wenming, the spiritual aspect of the civilization. And today we see a lot of Asian countries trying to emulate the Western model of becoming quick and rich. And they're only copying the, the material sort of civilization part of it. And then we see a lot of people in the West that are unhappy with life and who are finding jingsheng wenming in the Eastern, um, sort of the Eastern part of the world, and mm-hmm. and people are going back to to farming in nature, like in Byron Bay or um, in rural parts of of North America. And I I believe it's really important for the East to to know that as well, to to know that the Western system is not perfect, and that people are seeking wisdom in Eastern tradition as well. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful. I I think that. Um... I mean, you need a balance, right? I think you have to realize that. Um, I, th- I, I don't know. I, I think as a Western, I think the spiritual aspect is really something that we need to work on. I don't know about 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 the East, quote unquote. I, and I don't know about Malaysia, whether it's, you know, do people need more spiritual um, mm-hmm. aspect to their life or is it material? But I think definitely, you know, where we live, I think spiritual is certainly something that if you don't have it, you it's really... You know, I guess spiritual means something, something different to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it could mean right. I mean, you, you, you and I, I think we're both really inter- into mindfulness. Yeah, uh, it could, you know, that that spiritual aspect is, or that anchor, right, is maybe the present moment. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a quote by Thich Nhat Han. Thich Nhat Han. Yeah. Um, that I think it was like something about tea. And it was about um, like hold your tea or, 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 or sip your tea as if it was, um, I, don't, I don't quite remember that part of the quote, but then the, the second part of the quote is that uh, it is only this moment that is life or something like that. Like this, this moment is, is, is all that is life or life is only this moment. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing else matters, right? Nothing before this matters, nothing after this matters. I just think you know if if you forget about that, it, it it's so easy to um, to drift away from um, I guess you know, a healthy spiritual uh, type of lifestyle. And but you know for other people it might not be the present moment per se. Mm-hmm. It might be like, you know it might be God. It might be religion. It might yep. be some sort of greater power, um, mm-hmm. which is totally totally cool too. And I think mm-hmm. that works for a lot of my friends who are. Uh, religious and you know it depends on you know, what you believe maybe there is um, you know an objective reality out there regarding that but you know but regardless of that I think um, 
yeah, I think, you know, I totally agree with you that at least I think people around where I live, um, I think, you know, if people had more of a spiritual aspect to their life, Mm -hmm. um, not only would we be happier, but I think, you know, the communities would be uh, a little bit more um, harmonious um, Mm -hmm. to use more Chinese word. uh, And there would be less conflict, uh, as much conflict as there is now today in our society. I also find it a little bit ironic that um, it's only when the West take up a certain a certain concept and make it heap and, and popularize it, and then the East starts buying that idea again, like um, a mindfulness. The funny thing mm. is, um, the a lot of Westerners are learning about mindfulness, like from Thich Nhat Hanh, from these Eastern masters, and then now you see a lot of mindfulness teachers going around, um, even in in Asia teaching mindfulness courses and um, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong or anything, but yeah. at the same time, which is quite admirable that um, I guess because Westerners have a really good way of packaging and, and marketing an idea and maybe dissecting it down into different parts and making it sort of systemized. And whereas in, in Eastern tradition, traditionally it's more of like a, a very Confucianistic way and, and different schools are, are doing things in, in their own way and the west is just really smart in in taking a certain concept combining it with science systemize it and then market it to the world um yeah. maybe yeah uh, a friend of mine recently he asked me like uh you know us has people like steve jobs elon musk um because you know recently we i think you know, there was the uh what's it called space SpaceX. Um, SpaceX, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the success of that mission. So um, he asked me, you know, why why does the US have so many of uh, of these types of people? Right. Uh-huh. And I think he was other parts of the world don't have it. Um, I don't necessarily think that's true. I mean, there's certainly so many um, influential thinkers and uh, innovators that every country I think has them. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., they tend to be a little bit more famous, I guess, in, in, in the world. Why is that? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm not totally sure about the answer. I think what you what you just mentioned, the ability to market, um, well, certainly we're, we're certainly a very capitalist society here. So mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, that, that, that competition, you know, is fairly high in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a bit of competition that incentivizes people and there's... Uh, uh, there's a lot of innovative centers in the U.S. Um, where people, you know, what San Francisco, Bay Area, New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, uh, when you've got a lot of other minds that are uh, passionate and innovative and, you know, competitive. Um, cause mm-hmm. I think there is that, a part, part of that aspect to really make you very productive. Um, I think that's that's that will enable you to have higher, um, like create more innovations. Yeah. But yeah, I I think, you know, overall, I think definitely, you know, there are a lot of things that the West can learn from the East. Um, I think there's so much that I've learned from Chinese people, for instance, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, people from other countries in Asia, uh, I'm from you. Uh, (laughs) So there's, um, there's certainly quite a lot to be learned across borders. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't think Americans should think that, you know, we are, um, 
were that much more special. I mean, I love living in America. I respect, you know, I, I, I really, and my, I am very proud to be American and I want the best for my country, but I also mm-hmm. feel like there's so much that we can learn from other countries as well. And I, I think that, you know, I think more of us should realize that. I think that sometimes Americans tend to forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think let's just wrap it up with um, one last question. So there's a lot of people under lockdown right now. Yeah. And I was just thinking, can you maybe give some advice to parents in general, if you're listening to this, like what would you as a, as someone who works for REAP and deriving all those lessons from REAP that you just gave a while ago, what would you recommend people do during this time, this period of time when they're, you know, at home or when their kids are still not going to school, what can they do for, for the betterment of their own children? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say that I'm uh, an expert per se in, in raising kids. So uh, I'd say definitely first of all, um, to any parents that might be listening, um, uh, definitely trust your own instincts. Um, but I think just from, uh, I guess, research at REAP and what we found and, you know, what we found to be important mm-hmm. um, in, in, in education in general, um, I think, you know, there's two sides. Uh, if, if you're a parent that's in, not necessarily in China, because they're not locked down anymore, but in other countries, mm-hmm. uh, that I think there's, you know, two aspects, right? That you want to make sure that the kid um, doesn't fall super behind, you know, that this doesn't turn into be like a, a virtual summer vacation in which you know, research has shown that kids will regress incredibly uh, significantly during their summer vacations in terms <laughs> of their academic progress. I mean, you know, that's mm-hmm. just, that's just the case pretty much everywhere. Um, it's a natural part of, I guess, the, the school cl- calendar. But um, I think there's that aspect. And I think, but I also think there's, you know, the mental health aspect. And, you know, we're starting to do a little bit more research regarding mental health. Um, we've done some in the past in rural China. And I think that um, there needs to be a balance like everything, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think the kid, I think the child, uh, probably uh, will need some some reminders um, maybe uh, if they don't have a set schedule um, that they should uh, maybe log on at a certain time um, to connect that behavior with something else as well mm-hmm. um, so if it's uh, you know they, they're supposed to eat breakfast around a certain time then after breakfast maybe that, that'll make it easier um, after breakfast you know you should lock on and study this and to give them uh you know goals right objectives as a teacher um you know what's most important is to give kids objectives um and i think ultimately you want to get them to be self-regulating right you want them to be able to themselves um be get, making goals or just at least sticking to their goals and to moderate monitor their progress Mm-hmm. Um, but initially, especially for younger kids, I think they're definitely going to need, need help both forming that habit and um, figuring out how to how to do monitoring. And I think the monitoring might for younger kids still have to mostly come from the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, parents certainly have to take a bit of responsibility. Um, maybe that teachers normally will have, um, and, and I think otherwise it would be very hard for 
for a lot of, especially younger kids to be uh, focused and concentrated. Um, but I think, you know, there's also other aspects, you know, it's not just about studying, it's about also making sure that your kid um, during this really difficult time is, um, is, is not, is, is happy, right? And, and is, um, is, is enjoying their experience at home. And, um, and I think that is also really important. So not putting too much pressure on them to stick to a very strict schedule and make sure that there's breaks, um, making sure that they have some social interaction time and some time to, to, to you know, pursue their hobbies. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important. So I think that would just be some really general advice is mm -hmm. just to not forget, you know, the mental health aspect, nor forget, you know, the academic um, progress. They're really important both. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Cody. I think yes, thank you. <laughs> it's such a it's such a good interview, and even I myself have learned so much from just what you have shared with me today. And for those folks who are still listening out there, there's definitely going to be a second episode to this, and because we haven't really go into Cody's um, background or your childhood or um, what sparked your interest in China and a bunch of other cool questions that I <laughs> sent you beforehand. And also some of my fire questions. Um, we'll save that for next episode. So thank you so much for coming up today and for waking up so early in the morning. It's close to midnight here in Malaysia. Yeah, I'm sure you're exhausted after your long day. So definitely go hit the sack. <laughs> you know what? When I get into really interesting conversations, when we get into this flow state, right? You you just get so much adrenaline rushing your body and and all those other neurochemicals that I don't feel sleepy anymore, and I might even have a hard time falling asleep. That's why I yeah. put some stress relief tea here. <laughs> you'll do a little meditation. I think you'll be fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Or yoga. Uh huh. Yoga. Yeah. But thanks so much, Jin. Uh, it was mm -hmm. really great. And um, love talking always. And definitely, if you want to do it again, just let me know. We'll coordinate okay. this time. Mm -hmm. I hope you had a, a good time. So, thank you so much for listening to the very end of the interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you find this helpful and useful, do share it with other people. And it would be really kind of you if you could write a review or give a rating on Apple iTunes so that it can reach out to more people. And I hope I get to see you in our next conversation. Ciao.